Marketers ruin everything. Welcome to the Everything is Marketing Podcast. What I don't want to do is to pretend this is show number one. What would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. It is the Everything is Marketing Podcast. My name is Eric Hulkerin, Director of Marketing at MLive. It is Friday, and on the phone right now, Dr. Ben Locke. He is a professor of Computer and Information Sciences and Engineering at the University of Florida. He is the co-founder of Shadow Health, and as promised, I wanted to get somebody who is an expert in the field to talk a little bit this afternoon about virtual reality and the idea of mixed reality. So, Dr. Locke, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, secondly, so let's let's start with you and start with some of the amazing stuff that you are doing. For people who don't know, can you walk them through kind of what Shadow Health does, the amazing things that Shadow Health does, and kind of how it fits into virtual reality or the idea of virtual humans? Sure. Um, so a little bit of background. I've been in the virtual reality space for um, almost 20 years, and so I uh, have seen uh, sort of a few cycles of of what people thought virtual reality would be used for, and then um, sort of a law where a lot of research was done, and now obviously there's a lot of excitement and chatter about it now. So I've kind of gone through one cycle. And uh, I do a lot of work with trying to use virtual reality for training, and my goal is to make uh, people better. And so we want to see what whether virtual reality can help us solve some problems that we've had uh, having uh, difficulty in, in training people in the past. And so that's, that's been a lot of my research. And I started a company, as you said, it's called Shadow Health. And what uh, we try to do is to see whether we can help um, nursing students practice uh, talking to patients. And if we can, then that would help them how to um, interview and get uh, information more efficiently and effectively that can improve healthcare for all of us. So that's a little bit of background on what I do and what Shadow does. And so how, how is that working so far? Because, I mean, and people go to shadowhealth.com, please watch the video because I, I was watching the video this afternoon going, this is probably one of the most interesting uses of technology in, in a layman's terms in the health space that I've seen in quite some time. Well, I appreciate that. And, and so, so for me, uh, whenever we have a new medium, such as internet uh, education or uh, virtual reality, we can't just take what we've done in the past and then just make it available online. For example, <laughs> right? That doesn't right. that doesn't that doesn't leverage the stuff. And I, I understand that that might be the first thing you would do. You'd say, let's say, take the PowerPoint slides that you had before, and then you just make them available online. That becomes online education. But we all know that um, the real thing is to try to innovate to leverage that space. So what Shadow Health tries to do is to provide uh, virtual characters like the ones you see in movies or in video games and uh, try to provide social experiences with them where you can actually practice communication skills. Um, and because it's, it's hard, it's hard to, I mean, we think about it to train on how to talk to somebody else. You, you know, we think that, Oh, since we've been doing it um, our entire lives, it's pretty easy, but it's actually really hard to train people to do that and do that effectively. And so that's what a lot of my research at the university was to say, Hey, can we, Think of a new way to use this uh, this technology where you have virtual characters that appear on the screen. People have to think about how they would phrase questions and either type or talk to the characters. Um, uh, Shadow Health does a type interface, but a lot of the research we did, you could uh, talk to the characters. And we wanted to see whether by practicing there and giving you feedback, can we make you a better communicator? Because if we can do that with doctors and nurses, um, you know that that's a huge 
uh, the point is not to say that we're trying to replace anything or anybody. We just want to improve the communication skills of uh, of healthcare professionals. Well, because that's always been the issue is because, you you know, in, in a live fire environment, so to speak, that's not really the place to to train if you can if you could avoid it. Right. The, the, not learning how to talk to somebody when they're actually going through something that's a health crisis is probably not the best way to do that. Right. I mean, you don't have a safe place to fail. That's what a lot yeah. of people in simulation think about. And, uh, you know, you have it whenever you think about if you're going to learn how to fly an airplane, they give you plenty of safe places to fail in a simulator uh, before you ever get in a plane. But whenever it comes to these, like you said, high impact moments, um, you know, law enforcement talking to a suspect or a uh, doctor or a nurse talking to a patient at a critical moment, um, that's a, that, you know, you want them to have had a lot of practice. And that's what we're trying to see is can technology such as, um, you know, virtual humans and virtual reality help address a new area? Because if we can, that, I mean, that, that's something that we, as you said, we definitely need. Dr. Locke is joining us. We're talking about virtual reality this afternoon on the Everything is Marketing podcast. And let's morph into a little bit of the, the business of virtual reality. Like you said, there's lots of uh, excitement around virtual reality this time. If we rewind the clock back 20 years or so when there were kiosks in the mall and you could uh, wear a headset and shoot a very square-looking bird, and that was like the extent of the video game side of virtual reality – we're in a much different space now. You see that um, the Warriors recruited Kevin Durant by walking him through a virtual reality simulation of what it would be like to be on the Warriors team and, and the vistas he would see. There's a company I read about today that's allowing you to eat anything you want in a virtual space that's supposed to um, allow you to feel like you can eat anything you want but losing weight. Can you, and I know I'm springing both of those on you, but like, can you walk me through in a layman sense, what makes virtual reality so much more powerful to the brain than augmented reality or just the phone in general? Uh, that, that's a good question. And that's, um, so a lot of people, uh, academics, have tried to study and try to explore what makes um, these immersive experiences so compelling. And, and uh, what it seems to be is that uh, whenever, you know, virtual reality is all about feeding your senses stimuli um, and, and in a more immersive manner than you would just a phone. So a phone, the screen takes up a small bit of your, of your, of your vision. And with virtual reality, it, what we find out is that by taking up more and more, people start to want to play along more. Your brain plays along. So there's not really magic that's going on. It's stuff that's been known in things like in cinema and narrative. Um, and we're just bringing it into a very compelling experience coupled with the concept of, um, your interaction with the world. So if you can create a world that the user can interact with in a way, such as they turn their head and they see things that move differently, or they can have, like you said, these experiences where you see um, these compelling narratives like Tim Durant walking around uh, with, with the Warriors. And I grew up in Oklahoma, so that's a sore subject. Sorry, still. sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I left when I was younger, but still, uh, my Facebook feed has been filled with stuff. But the concept is that whenever you show these things, it's for some reason, um, because it takes a more field of view, because it's a more natural way that we get this these visual images, our brain just wants to play along. I mean, it doesn't have to. You don't have to. You, uh, in the sense that if you don't want to you know, believe in it or you don't want to uh, be compelled by it, you don't have to. But just like watching a movie on a bigger and bigger screen, is, it's more fun to watch the Avengers on a big screen versus a small screen. And when you add interactivity to it, it just seems that your brain wants to play along. And when you do, you get these experiences that um, 
for lack of a better word, people say feel uh, more real than again, if you're just to see it on a laptop. And so that's, I think what people are starting to play around. And, and frankly, we are in a really exciting time because what will this stuff be used for? You know, and we think about it from a marketing perspective, what are people, how are people going to use virtual reality on a daily basis? And um, now that virtual reality is so inexpensive um, from anywhere from Google, Google Cardboard, which is just a few bucks with your phone, to even the Rift, which, again, uh, like the Oculus Rift or HTC Vive, those are devices that cost less than $1,000. I mean, you have to remember when I first started, we were using um, devices that cost $12,000 just for the headset. And now wow. you're talking about the, the half-million-dollar computer you need to attach to it. So very few people had access in the past. Now you've got access in a lot of people's hands, and there's a lot of creative folks, people in the arts, people uh, in, in education and training. And so I think that this is really going to be a golden age where people are going to be so creative, and there are going to be things that we can't think of today. I mean, you look around today, and I bet you if I, t- if I were to have – if you were to interview me in six months, conversation would go so differently <laughs> because you have so many cre- you have so many creative people – saying, hey, in my field, if I could make people feel a certain way, if I could uh, have a more immersive experience and I could let people see something like Kevin Durant walking around, uh, you know, in, in, in what it would be like to be part of uh, the Warriors, then you're going you're gonna to see uh, newer uses of it. And then I think along with that, how companies can best leverage it. Because I think that a lot of companies are still exploring, um, you know, how can I make use of this technology? How many people are going to be using it? Is it going to be something that you pull out every day like, on your phone? Is it something that you is this like you sit down and play a video game? I mean, what what structure is it going to be? Because I think that's going to affect how um, companies will try to use the platform. And and doctor, what is your sense of that? And I'm not, obviously not asking you to become a futurist or tell me what's going to happen in three years. But is your sense, given twenty years of research in VR and mixed reality, is your sense that this might be something that we use every day, or will it be a peripheral that we use for something specific? Um, well, and we have to think, remember that virtual reality isn't just head-mounted display. Sure, right? yeah, virtual right, as it, as it evolves, but yeah. Right. right, and so I think that this concept of using devices that are um, extremely immersive, where we have experiences that are very compelling, I mean, video, you know, you can play video games on a very large screen and things with the, like the Microsoft Connect or the Nintendo Wii have, have already started blending in virtual reality ideas, Um uh, into our daily lives. So for me, my best vision on VR, what's going to make it really powerful is if we see a social application. I mean, humans are social creatures, right? So if we can see a social benefit, um, like it helps me connect with my extended family, uh, things like that. That's going to be, I think, the real beachhead on how we can use virtual reality on a, on a, on a very common basis. I mean, when I think about what got my mom to um, really embrace computing, it was things like Skype, where she could connect with, uh, and see her brothers and sisters halfway around the world um, for free. Which that made, that, that was a big uh, sure. that was a big win for right. her for sure. And and so it's that's and that's the sort of thing. Virtual reality um, and Facebook has already started uh, taking a look at some of these things, and that's I think a big reason why they bought Oculus in the first place is they see a way that um, they can make it a compelling social experience. Right now, we go on our friends' walls. Right. And we go uh, when we log in, we see a few pictures of hopefully all you see pictures of food and and a few, uh, you know, uh, updates on, on family and things like that. But uh, and, and it, it's that level. You get some connection with the people on your Facebook uh, 
friends. But I think what um, Facebook is banking on, and I think it's a pretty good bet, is to say, hey, using things like virtual reality where you can have a more shared experience, a more immersive experience, could we feel a tighter bond with other, with some of the people? I'm not sure you want to get it with everybody <laughs> right. on your Facebook feed, right? But uh, with more of them, then I think you're going to see that. To me, I think that's sort of the the killer apps. And but then, how often would you use that? I don't know. That that's that's a tough one to see because it's hard to see how often, um, like, because it takes a lot of emotional investment, right? Whenever you want to um, do things and you want to get immersed, it takes energy and it causes, you know, you can't focus and do other things. So um, for you to say, hey, I want to invest the energy and time to have this deeper experience, that you're going to want to have a good return on that investment. And so I think um, socially is probably going to be the main place where we're going to see that. And uh, uh, we still haven't figured out yet what that is. But again, I think that's, it's great instead of having a few people try to figure it out. Now we've got millions of people try to figure it out. And so I think that we are going to see something, but it's hard to kind of imagine what that would look like today. Dr. Ben Locke is joining us. Dr. Locke, if people want to get a hold of you, obviously shadowhealth.com is one way. What's another way that they can reach out to you if they uh, want to talk about the cool um, projects you're working yeah, on? Yeah. My, my uh, homepage is lockben, L-O-K-B-E-N.com. And, uh, and of course I'm at the university of Florida. So, um, you know, if you Google, uh, uh Ben Locke and University of Florida, you should, you know, I should come up there and be happy to communicate with other folks who are interested in, in understanding of what, you know, what, what's the arc of virtual reality? What, where have we been in the past and where we might be going? Dr. Locke, it has been a pleasure. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, and I might take you up on calling you in six months and see where we are in the VR space. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Take care.